Today, we're going to talk about a curious passage in the Torah, which uh, comes, we have a double portion this week. It is Acharemot Kedoshim. And uh, before I get to what we're going to talk about, just a word about the double portion. Acharemot means after death. It refers to the death of Aaron's sons. Um, and Kedoshim means holy. So uh, an old standing Jewish joke is Acharemot Kedoshim. After people die, you think of them as holy. Uh, and that certainly is a syndrome that we are familiar with. Uh, but I want you to know it goes way, way back. Um, that people that you say not nice things about while they're still alive, when they die, all of a sudden, they are holy. Um, so that, however, is not the subject of the Torah class. The subject of the Torah class is this very curious passage about the scapegoat, uh, which you will find in chapter 16 of the book of Leviticus. Chapter 16 of the book of Leviticus, I would give you a page, but everybody uses their own edition of the Bible. So instead, I will just read you the relevant um, couple of verses, and then we'll get into the questions, which are interesting and difficult. Uh, Aaron shall bring forward the goat. This is verse 9, designated by a lot for God, which he will offer as a sin offering. Or well, the goat designed by lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before the Lord to make expiation with it and to send it off in the wilderness for Azazel. Now, it then goes on to say exactly how the rite is done. But that's what we are most interested in is, among other things, what is Azazel? What does it mean it will be sent off for Azazel? So the word Azazel is a curious one and has received a lot of possible interpretations. I'm going to offer you a few and then give you the real one. Um, one is that uh, the meaning of the word Azazel is the goat goes. Az, Azel. Azel is an Aramaic, although it's also used in biblical Hebrew word for going. And a goat going is one possible interpretation of what the word Azazel means. Um, <clears throat> the problem with it is that it says you go for Azazel. It's like you're going to a destination, not just going. And Azazel seems to refer to something. It seems like some kind of noun. Um, it's a place or a name or something. And a goat going doesn't quite capture what it means. And in fact, the second uh, possible interpretation is that Azazel is a place name. And that it comes from Azaz, which some commentators like Sajagaon um, say are, it means hard, because the goat that went to Azazel fell down on the rocks, and the rocks were hard, so it goes to the hard place. The problem with this interpretation, or a problem with it, um, is that it says one goat for the Lord and one goat for Azazel, and that's not a parallel between God and a hard place, right? It should be um, God and a being or a, an, uh, or a being, a being or a being, one of the two. In any case, um, that's the third interpretation. 
is that Azazel is some kind of originally pagan deity. Azael. El is a meaning, is an ending in Hebrew that means God. And maybe this was one of the many times that the Hebrew Bible took pagan ideas and pagan gods and made them under the umbrella of monotheism. And that's probably what in the end is going on here is that Azazel refers to some kind of demon, like a Satanish sort of character. And if that surprises you, then I'll just tell you that the idea of demons existed still in the time of the Bible, um, Shadim and others, and also outlasted it in rabbinic times too. And even the idea of demons and demonology persists until, until the modern time. Uh, if you doubt this or want to see confirmation of it, I suggest which is something that I suggest anyway, that you read, for example, the short stories uh, of Isaac Basheva Singer. And you will discover that someone is always contending with some sort of demon or angel or mythological creature because the folk tradition of Judaism was largely inhabited by such uh, creatures. And so the idea that somehow you're sending this other goat to Azazel um, to some kind of demon does in fact make sense mythologically. But even if that is the meaning of the word, it is not the meaning of the right. That is, it is not the reason why you have this very curious sending one goat off to live and the other goat to Azazel. And I want to make two sort of fundamental points about this strange um, ceremony that teach us something important about our own and religious lives. The first point, which is worth noting, the, uh, the idea that these two goats are identical, which is what they were supposed to be, and one is chosen to go off to Azazel and the other one not, says something deeply true about the world. That is, it is an illustration of the randomness of fate. Even though <clears throat> the Bible clearly believes that everything is superintended by God, in the way that we can see the world, in the way that we can understand the world, things are controlled by randomness. And that reality, is illustrated here and has deep theological implications that I will return to in just a minute when I make the second point about the goat to Azazel, which is that all of us carry with us guilt and shame. Guilt, which is generally thought of as something internal, and shame, which is generally thought of as a social emotion. That is, you are shamed in front of people, you feel guilty yourself. It's a famous uh, uh, book by the sociologist Ruth Benedict that talked about different guilt cultures and shame cultures. That is something that we may return to, although I don't know that we need to get into it today. But the point is that she said there are certain cultures where the key idea is how you feel about what you did. That is a guilt culture. And others are 
how you feel about how others view you, how you seem in the social world, that if other people think what you did is okay, it's okay. If other people think what you did is bad, it's bad. And so they differ in the same, those emotions, but both of them are a consciousness of wrongdoing in one way or another, or, or a suspicion of wrongdoing. Um, so the goat carries your wrongdoing into the wilderness. That's why it's called a scapegoat. And the reality is that the scapegoat actually hasn't done anything wrong. It is a kind of vicarious carrying of your guilt into the wilderness. In other words, it's a psychological mechanism. It is not so much a ritual um, that is done by yourself. It's not, it's not mythical in that way. Uh, it takes, I mean, although I said it's going to Azazel, which sounds like a demon. In fact, it takes the idea of mythology out of it and makes it a psychological mechanism whereby the high priest can say to you, I know you feel bad. I know you feel you've done things and you maybe you have done things, but once this goat goes into the wilderness, you'll be okay. Now, in Judaism, I hear some of you objecting. We don't believe in vicarious atonement. You have to make do with what you have to repair it on your own. And that's true. Shuvah repentance is about repairing things on your own. But it is also understood that there will always be an overplus. There will always be things that when you tell someone you didn't do anything wrong and they say, I know, but I still feel bad which is a common phenomenon. It happens all the time. I see this very often, for example, when people um, are attending the, when people have been there or not been there when their relative dies. And they say, I wish I could have done more. And I say, you did everything you could. What could you possibly have done that you didn't do? And they say, I know, but still I feel, and that is the residual shame or guilt that we feel <clears throat> that the scapegoat is supposed to take away. It's like the unnecessary, the, um, in some ways, uh, unrepairable because it's not about um, something that you can make up, the scapegoat carries off, which is the reason that it came to be in modern parlance, the, the name scape, scapegoat came to be for someone that isn't guilty, right? The scapegoat is not someone who's done something wrong. The scapegoat is the identified uh, carrier of blame for everyone else. Now, some of you, especially those of you who know the New Testament, will know that that Jesus was used as a parrot. The scapegoat was used as a precursor for the role of Jesus. But remember, <laughs> we're talking about the Torah here. And in the context of the Torah, the scapegoat is not anything divine. It doesn't carry the sins of all the world, um, but rather it is done on the day of atonement for those things that you can't, that were not covered entirely by the sin offering, by tshuva, by remnant, that is the psychological difficulties that you still carry. And we're going to circle back on this for a second at the end, but the random idea that I mentioned, the idea that these are two basically identical goats, one of them uh, suffers and the other doesn't, is also, I think, a crucial part of the way in which um, 
certain theologies understand why there is evil in the world. Because it is randomness that enables us to act well. By that I mean, if everything were determined, if every time you were good, you got a good result, or every time you were bad, you got a bad result, then of course you would always be good, but your goodness wouldn't have any moral content, right? You'd be good because you don't want to get punished. But if you're good knowing that the world operates randomly, that is, you can be a good person, a kind person, and still have difficulties. You can be a terrible person, an awful person, and still live a good life. If there is randomness in the order, it makes possible real goodness um, and, and the idea that I'm doing this just because it is the right thing to do, not because I will necessarily get a reward. And there, the goat was a visible sign for all of Israel of this idea that one's fate has a certain randomness to it. And that also is designed in some sense to take away self-blame. Because people generally say, you know, why did this person get sick? It has to be for a reason. <clears throat> but once you realize that although there are clearly determinative elements, but that a lot of human faith is random, then all of a sudden you can have a different quality of compassion for people's faiths because it's not something that they chose. It's something that befell them. Um, and it didn't befall them because of some kind of, uh, of evil that they practiced. It was just because, in fact, um, the world is a random world as the goat <laughs> was a random goat. Um, and so the right, which seems at first to be very bizarre, carries some deep, um, both psychological and theological uh, meanings and implications uh, as the high priest each year on Yom Kippur would choose the goat to go off to the wilderness. The closest thing, weirdly, that we have to this, which has biblical antecedents, because, of course, we are a country that was founded by the Puritans who were deeply influenced by the Hebrew Bible, um, is the turkey that you pardon on Thanksgiving. And the president has two turkeys in front of them, and, and one, one becomes dinner and the other gets pardoned. And, and that actually has a real deep um, message, if you think about it, uh, which is that there is a certain randomness to the fate that befalls us in this world, and that that's all the way down to the natural level and all the way up to the human level. Now, one more meaning of Azazel. Um, it became, in modern Hebrew, a sort of synonym for hell. So, Lech Azazel in modern Hebrew, basically means go to hell. Um, and I am going to read you a wonderful story about that, uh, which is uh, in 1927. Now, a little background for the story. Even before the state of Israel was founded, when people would go to Israel in the 20s and 30s, um, there was 
a virtual law among the Jewish community and in the courts that um, you could only speak Hebrew. That they were going to set up a country and the language of the country was going to be Hebrew and you had to speak Hebrew because Yiddish was the language of the old country um, and this was the language of the diaspora. Remember, this was before the Holocaust. There were millions and millions of Yiddish speakers um, in Eastern Europe. And in Israel, we were going to change because Hebrew was the language of the Bible. It was the language of freedom because when people spoke Hebrew, it was when they had a state of Israel in ancient times. It was the language of freedom. And Yiddish was the language of the diaspora and captivity of the Galut. And so it was decided that Hebrew would be the language of Israel, despite the fact, as you may know, that Hebrew hadn't been used for thousands of years and many words had to be invented in order for modern Hebrew to come into its own. Um, the greatest modern Hebrew poet was Chaim Nachman Bialik. Uh, and uh, Bialik, who was famous and left and went to Israel, uh, was the exemplar of the possibilities of modern Hebrew. The problem is, of course, that Bialik, like everybody else in the Jewish world, didn't grow up speaking Hebrew. He grew up speaking Yiddish because that was his native tongue. He wrote in Hebrew, but his native tongue was Yiddish. So in 1927, he and his friend, the publisher, Yehoshua Rabnitsky, were walking in the streets of Tel Aviv. And they were talking Yiddish to each other. And that's the most natural thing in the world, except that there was a man named Arod Nachman, who was a member of the Battalion for the Defense of Language. Okay, imagine that. This is a very Jewish idea, a battalion for the defense of language. And he went up to Bialik and Ravnitsky and accosted them and yelled at them that they were speaking Yiddish and that they should be speaking Hebrew. So Bialik, this poet, what does he do? He turns to this young man and says, Lech Azazel, basically go to hell, okay? Um, I suppose Bialik thought when you become the greatest modern Hebrew poet, then you can yell at me, but before, go to hell. So Mani, instead of walking away like you should do, he took Bialik to court and sued him. And here, the reason I'm bringing this all up is not only because it's a great story, it's such a Jewish story, but also because we have Bialik's defense to the court. This is what he said. He wrote it. He wrote his defense. It is possible that the word is a bit harsh according to its regular use in the marketplace. But according to its accurate and real meaning, it is a name of a mountain in the desert, not far from Jerusalem, a two to three hour walk in the Judean desert. And this place, in my opinion, is a pretty dignified place for that man to take a walk in. So when he said, go to Azazel, <clears throat> he claimed that Azazel was a place in the desert, perfectly dignified for that man to take a walk in. And that's what he was talking about. Well, in fact, the court ruled for Bialik and forced Nachmani to pay court costs for bringing the suit in the first place. But I bring this up not only because 
all the reasons that it's worth bringing up and it's such a wonderful story, but also because it reminds us the way in which the ancient and modern culture of uh, Israel interpenetrated. And on this week, when we celebrated, well, first we memorialized Yom HaZikaron, the day of remembering the soldiers who had died, and then celebrated Yom HaAtzma'ut, the day of Israel's independence. Um, it is important to think about this sort of continuous stream, how the biblical lessons even inform the modern state of Israel and how the words that had one meaning, whatever Azazel was, whether it was a place, although Bialik's probably wrong, uh, whether it was a place, whether it was a demon, uh, whatever it was, the way in which in modern Hebrew it gets transmuted to mean something entirely different. Uh, and also, isn't it remarkable to think that you could take someone to court for saying, go to hell? Um, if that were true, <laughs> the, the courts would be way overstuffed in this land and probably in every other country in the world. Um, so there you have it. That is the purpose of the ritual of the scapegoat. It is in order to free you of the sort of overplus of sin and also to teach us the essential randomness of the way the world works. Sadiq Viralo, Rasha Vatoblo, a good man can have bad things happen. A bad man can have good things happen. As the rabbis put it, or a good person um, can have good or bad things happen. Uh, and that is the essential randomness of living in the world. And therefore, it is our obligation to try to mitigate that randomness, to ameliorate it, to make it better by being good ourselves, by being kind ourselves. So this week, try not to tell anyone to go to Azazel. Stay safe, stay well. See you soon.